What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Run Your Mouth Podcast. Look at this. Three episodes in one week. Things are really happening over here at Run Your Mouth Enterprise. You know, we get even more episodes. I don't know. People start sending me more money. You get more sponsors. We can go to five days a week. You don't think I have more things to say? You think I've been saying everything that I got to say? You don't think that there's more times that I'm just not talking to my wall and going, I wish I would put this out on the internet, but there's no sponsors for this information, so I'm going to hoard this one for myself. Anyways... It's nice to be back for a third episode, spending a couple days in my apartment, actually collecting my thoughts before I get back on the road. And oh my God, am I getting right back on the road? We're going down to uh, to Arlington. And let me tell you, if DC's got one thing going for it, it's traffic. You know, clubs put up their little rope systems outside to pretend like there's really important things and there's nothing good going inside in there. Well, that's what DC does. The entire town, it's like it's roped off. They just got traffic going on on the outside trying to pretend like they're all important. And then you show up and the politicians aren't even there. There's nothing going on. This thing hasn't been in session for three months. Everyone's on break. You'd think as a, as a, if you're going to have a capital, maybe you could solve, I don't know, whatever. Anyways, so down in Arlington with Davy Smith, no travel gripes because I have been home, but I, wist, I witnessed an abomination today. I witnessed a national tragedy, and you know what? It's something that I have to speak out against. Usually, when there's something that annoys me, I don't say anything. I keep my mouth shut. That's what I do. You guys listen to the show. You know me. I don't come on and just yell about the follies of airlines. No. I put a big old smile on my face and I go, I'm going to let that one slide. But today, I saw something so outrageous. Something that everyone should be up in arms about. If there's anything that we should be marching on DC, it's this. And it's pickleball. I'm going to do it. I wanted to stay neutral at pickleball. I understand you had these people getting into some new sport, and I was going to stay neutral. I was going to stay out of it. I was going to go, you know what, pickleball is not so important that I need to have an opinion on everything. Some things are like the Middle East, you don't want to research it. You don't want to get involved. It's like the abortion topic. Something, it's just a loser. No matter what you say, you're going to bother people, and it's not that important to your life, and you go, you know what, I'm going to stay neutral. And I wanted to stay neutral on pickleball. I really did. I've thought about it before. I've seen people out there, but then something happened. Something happened that now I have to speak out. There used to be this uh, little hockey court down in my town, and I used to go out there about once a week, and I would shoot around. For years, I didn't play any hockey, because if I picked up my stick and I was shooting on the net, I felt like a jackass, because I'm like, I don't play hockey anymore. What am I doing? And then at one point, I overcame that OCD thought, and I was like, this is kind of relaxing. It still is relaxing to just shoot a slap shot, the same guy, some idiot, shoots his golf things, and just seeing it hit the corner. And even if it does no good, because I'll never play hockey against anyone else again, and anyways, I'm just standing around playing with the ball, it's not even a puck, it still just feels good to know that I can hit that corner. It's a satisfying feeling. And so I got back and like once a week when I didn't feel like exercising, I would go out there and I would just skate around no matter how bad of a mood I was in. I could put on my rollerblades, rollerblade around, just shoot some goals on a net and it was relaxing and it felt good. Now, this is, if there's anything that's just like my personal problem in life, and I guess now we're getting personal, I'm sharing my personal problems. It's the Run Your Mouth podcast. I share everything with you, including my newfound hatred for pickleball. I don't like dealing with things. And so sometimes, even very simple things that would bring tremendous joy to my life, I just won't fix them. For example, when I built this new studio uh, for a while, I put my desk away from the window, and I was just sitting at this desk instead of the nice standing desk that I have in the other room by the window, 
because I like the sunlight, I like standing, and I was just miserable for two months because I just didn't want to deal with building the desk. And every single day I acknowledge that standing here and facing now my just blacked out foam wall, I didn't like it, but I just didn't want to deal with it. And I had a similar thing when it came to the, uh, to, to the, to, to the roller hockey that I really do enjoy going out there. I really do enjoy shooting the goals on net, but I really don't enjoy having to ever fix the wheels. And it got to a point where like all the wheels were just broken and it was like actually kind of dangerous to be on them. And I just didn't want to deal with it. And you know what I did? Finally, one day I decided I'm just going to pay someone. You know, like there's like just that mental hump in your brain of paying someone else to just deal with this shit that you just don't want to deal with. I finally got over that hump and I was like, I'm just going to pay someone. I went to some local store because at first I at first I wasn't going to pay someone. I was looking to actually buy the pieces I need to replace the wheels. And then I was like, the guy offered to do it. And I was like, cool, if you'll do it, I'll just pay you. And so then the guy did it. I got back on my rollerblades for the first time in six months and I was skating around and I was like, I don't know why I can't just live the rest of my life this way. Why don't I just figure out the little things that I never want to fix and just pay someone to fix it and then you can get back to doing the things that you actually enjoy in your life. And then the next time I went to go rollerblading, all of the wheels fell off because that idiot that worked at the store didn't actually know how to do it and I haven't been on them since. And so anyways, I don't know, four, five, six months, I haven't shot around, I haven't played any hockey, I haven't felt that satisfying feeling of hitting the corners in the empty net in a game that you're not even playing. And I showed up there today, and you know what they did to that quiet hockey court that was in the corner of the park? They converted it to fucking pickleball. You can still play hockey on it, but they repainted the entire court. They ruined the aesthetic. And by the way, it used to be graffitied on the side with penises. That didn't bother me. Sometimes you'd have people, because it was the more quiet side of the park, come down there to smoke weed, drink beers, do, do tricks on their things, have their dog on it. You get Mexican dudes playing soccer. None of that bothered me. But you know what bothers me? It's the old fat lady pretending like she's being athletic, playing uh, Taylor Swift songs on a boombox, and 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 the the court is disgusting now. You used to go down there, you could shoot around, and now they changed the gravel. I mean, it's not gravel. I don't know what the new flooring is, but it's not good. I'll put up a picture later of the abomination of this pickleball court. And here's the problem with pickleball. I'm gonna start the uh, athletic commission against old people pretending like they're being physically active. You you know what you're doing? You're doing stand-up ping-pong. That's what it is. It's probably less athletic than ping-pong. You watch some of those good ping-pong players who are actually going left to corner, actually have to have quick reactions. You're, you're playing not have to move tennis so that you can pretend like you're athletic, play Taylor Swift songs, yap away and make chit-chat with the other older person that hasn't left their house in a while, but don't worry, once the athletic commission comes out, or once shoulder cuffs start tearing, that's what we need. This We're still at the uh, at the beginning of pickleball plank. This is kind of like Ozempic. You know, you're at your first generation, your first round of people who don't want to eat food anymore because they're putting the science up into their veins. And I don't know, I, we're in the first couple minutes, we're actually up on YouTube. We don't want to be saying Ozempic won't help the fatties. I don't want to say that. Same as I don't want to say that you shouldn't get your kid boosted. If anything, you got to catch that kid up. He might be behind schedule. But I will come out and say it, you know, this pickleball thing, we got to put an end to it. It was fine. I was willing to stay neutral until they came for our hockey courts, repainted the circles that used to be for face-offs that I wasn't having. I wasn't facing off against anybody. But you could pretend like you were. You know, it's fun getting out there in the afternoon and pretending like you're actually playing a game of hockey, seeing where the blue line is, seeing if you can still hit a shot from there, if you can hit the shot from center court. It's like having a three-point line. You want to know where the three-point line is, even if you're in your backyard and you're just shooting shots. You want to know where the free-throw line is. 
But no, now I got to see these bright pickleball colors. And who picked the ugliest world? The, the colors don't match. They're aesthetically not pleasing. And they bring old people that yap. People that should be at home. There's some people that shouldn't be allowed to yap in public. And I, you know what? I'm not here to knock on everyone's door and actually make an evaluation about whether or not you should be allowed to yap in public locations. But maybe. Maybe once my athletic commission against old people pretending like they're being physically active takes off, we can parlay the resources from that and then get into the whether or not you are certified to yap in public. Um, and anyways, speaking of uh, healthcare and making important decisions like this, check out our sponsor, PremierPharma.com, because this is the kind of content that they want to be affiliated with. Everybody is uh, severe medical claims about that uh, pickleball is bad for the elderly and will destroy their rotator cuffs. Um, none of this is medical science, but you know what is medical science? It's not medical science. You know what's financial advice? It's uh, if you want cheaper generic medications, you can get it from PremierPharma.com. And so how do you do it? You can't just go directly to PremierPharma.com. You can't just go there and purchase things. But if you got a pharmacy or a doctor's office and you want to hook up your patients with cheaper generic drugs, you go to PremierPharma.com. You can make that happen. Um, everybody, like I said, I'm in a Arlington with Davy Smith this weekend. If you're out in the area, come hang out. I think we're doing a live pod Friday night. Looking forward to doing those shows. Haven't played DC since last year. Um, we're going to be doing the shell. Those tickets will be available soon. And then, uh, trying to line up a Boston and, uh, maybe a Philly porch tour is over. But if you got a bar, you got a basement, you got a living room, I don't care. Let's do it. You got a heated porch. Maybe we still, maybe we can continue porch tour. I'm already itching to get back out there. All right, let's get into some actual news topics. Um, before we do, why not take a couple comments? We got Alan Thick Dick coming through. Yo, I think three times a week is honestly perfect, brother. I don't think I could keep up with five. Glad you're back on YouTube. All right, all right. I see where you're coming from, but you don't understand. You get to three and all of a sudden you realize you're itching for four or five. Based, my town of 40K people just spent $1.3 million on pickleball cards. The Lord weeps. There you go. It's the devil's sport. It's letting people think that they're doing something physically active while they're not, and it's empowering the kvetchiest amongst us to leave their homes and yap in public. David Price, I'd comment on your standing desk, but between your ADHD and my alcoholism, the fact that you won't read this comment for another 17 minutes, neither, neither of us will know what I was talking about. Fair enough. You see, that's gold right there. Uh, finally watching Robbie the Fire on Twitch. Good to see an evening episode. All right, let's get into some actual topics. First one off the bat, Boris Johnson wanted to be injected with COVID on TV ex-advisor. And you know, articles like this make me start to like Boris Johnson. And for some reason, these people have been so anally molested that even after we found out all the falsehoods of COVID, Boris Johnson is still walking stories like this back. The things that might actually rehabilitate his image and go, listen, we understand that you went over to the Ukraine and talked them back into a war that cost 500,000 lives for no reason other for us to end up at the exact same point. But you know what? It turns out that you were actually spot on and had the right intuition on the COVID stuff. So, you know, here's your job back. But even so, these people have been so anally molested or whatever gets shoved up their butts that just hurts if they start, you know, not talking and shilling for the regime again. You know, maybe we got the whole Epstein story wrong. We thought that they were being blackmailed and really they were having chips inserted into their rectums that uh, made it feel like you were having a prostate exam the second you started, uh, you know, actually expressing your opinion. 
But here you have Boris Johnson, supposedly he was looking at all the COVID data, was so against another lockdown, he wanted to calm people and go, listen, this COVID thing's not a big deal. And the same way you've had people like Justin Trudeau showing up in their stupid t-shirts pretending like they're getting another booster shot so that people feel like, hey, I can get another booster shot. This Trudeau guy who's really smart, he got a booster shot so I can get another booster shot. Uh, He wanted to get COVID live on television to let people know that this guy, that it's no big deal. And here's the thing, you know, we were all mad at the guy because apparently during all of COVID and he was pushing all this uh, policy, they were just there partying. But what he should get out there and say is, listen, I wish all of you guys could have partied. I would have had beers with you. We could have all been partying through this entire thing. But now it brings me back to that question I asked last week. The biggest question, the biggest scandal other than these pickleball courts that the devil is pushing into our parks and ruling what was otherwise perfectly good hockey area. The only hockey area in town. But listen, let's not ADD. We moved on from there. I've already made my point about the pickleball courts. What happened that a world leader, a person that's supposed to be in charge, decided to reject his own common sense and push something that he knew was detrimental to his own people and that the own, that his own people were only going for because every world leader was presenting to them as it was their only option. What was he threatened with? What exactly was going on behind the scenes that people like Boris Johnson could have looked at the situation with COVID, go, all of this defies common sense. But even though it defies common sense and I'm the person put in charge and I'm supposed to, you know, at a minimum, use common sense and share it with people. I'm just going to keep my mouth shut and quietly drink here and party and feel bad about the fact that we're ruining our economy and people's lives for no reasons. What happened? Who threatened you? Who put anal probe chips up your anus that made it feel like you're being, uh, that you're getting a prostate exam every time you want to state your honest opinion? I'd like to know who hurt you, Boris Johnson. It's time to come clean. All right, I got a new segment on the show which is, uh, you know, I was reading these uh, articles uh, this past week, and uh, we're going to take a look at some spin. I was finding some of the spin funny. I was looking at the way that the government was trying to spin some stories, the little turns of phrases, and I was amused, and so I want to share some of these with you. So let's start first with, um, this is from Reuters. Israel-Hamas war a month on. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said Israel would consider tactical little pauses. And I just, I, I like that one because, you know, you're out here, you've bombed 10,000 people. People are demanding that you take a humanitarian pause. He goes, hey, we're taking no pause. And then he came back and said, well, we'll do tactical little pauses. And, and what is that? A cigarette break? Is that just a glorified cigarette break where they, you sit there and you go, all right, pause is over, boys. We can go back to bombing another building. What the hell is a tactical little pause? I love that. It's just the constant compromise. Listen, we can't take a humanitarian pause, but like a tactical little pause. All right, I just want to float out there a solution to the Middle East problem. Because, uh, you know, I, I'm not just going to spend a whole episode harping on why I'm anti-pickleball courts. That would be uh, that would be lunacy. So you got these tunnels. And uh, your whole situation is that the Israelis going, listen, if we're not killing the people above the tunnels, we don't want to kill the people that are above the tunnels, but there's no other way to get to the people in the tunnels. And so we have no choice but to kill these human shield individuals protecting the tunnel people. Has anyone explore, explored uh, creepy exploding spider robots? 
I just want to pitch it as an idea. I'm just saying, you know, you're going to have to have some people coming up with creative solutions. And at first I was thinking maybe you could flood the tunnels. I like the idea of flooding the tunnels. The area needs water. So you could both have water and you flood the tunnels. And then I was thinking maybe like alligators and pythons would be cool. You just find an opening. You release a whole bunch of alligators in there. Maybe they go and just eat the Hamas people. That could be interesting. But then I was like, you know what's cooler than all that? Creepy exploding spiders. Uh, And now, generally speaking... I'm against the concept of uh, government robot soldiers. I don't like government robot soldiers. I think that's creepy. I think when the uh, overlords want to crack down on all of us, at a minimum, if they've got to pay soldiers, you get that human element where they might just go, hey, this is evil, and I don't want to do this to these other people. And that might be the exact reason why uh, countries are importing all these immigrants from other countries so that maybe the cost of actually hiring them to turn against the other residents is lower, like uh, what might have happened at the fall of other civilizations. But let's not go down that rabbit hole. And let's just say you look at these creepy Boston dynamic robots and typically speaking, I see these things and I go, we should just ban that. Forget banning AI. Let's ban government war robots because government war robots creates a platform by which government can rule over us without even needing to bribe soldiers. And maybe we're making it too easy for the overlords Like the same way, you know, a central bank digital currency might make paying my uh, essentially back digital currency might uh, might make paying my taxes easier because they track everything and they just take their 20 percent. And then I don't have to track. Hey, I paid this guy. Here's this W-9. Here's this paperwork. Fill out this form. But I realize, hey, if I give government that kind of a thing, then the next thing you know, they go, hey, you ate too many donuts this week. Here, we're taking your money or we decided to fine you on this. Here, we're taking back your money on this. You can't spend money on that. Who wants government to have that kind of control? So I feel the same way on robots. But in this particular case, if you could send some creepy ass fucking spiders down there and then they use facial recognition software to locate terrorists and then explode jump on their face like in the movie Alien and just like hijack them or maybe like start carving out eyeballs and tell them, hey, you better walk out these hostages from this tunnel. We're going to blow up your fucking face. I'm just trying to say, has anyone considered creepy robot blowing up spiders? You know, just trying to be helpful. I'm just trying to do my part. All right, next story. What else we got? So this was the next that we saw from uh, from some spin from what's going on. Israel-Gaza thingy things. Um, Israel sees military control over Gaza after the war. European Union and Muslim-majority countries or the local political leaders in Gaza said, all right, here's the part I want to focus on. We don't want to govern Gaza. We don't want to have to run their lives. We just want to protect our people. I don't know. This is just what they keep saying. It's like, we're doing all these horrible things, and we don't want to do all these horrible things. It's just that we want this other thing. It's like, we we don't want to have to tax you. We just want to fund you. You're still doing it. It doesn't matter what, like, in, in my opinion, it doesn't matter what got you there. And sure, I guess there's a distinction between somebody who wants to kill you just for the thrill of killing you and somebody that wants, I, I'm only killing you because you have money in your house and I want to take your money. I'd rather not have to kill you. Yeah, sure. I guess there's a distinction between that and a serial killer. But at the end of the day, you're killing somebody. And they, they, they keep going with this. Like, I, 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 we don't want to have to do this. It actually reminded me of a great movie. I don't know if you guys have ever seen it. If you've never seen it, it's actually probably 
my all-time favorite movie, Cool Hand Luke. If you've never seen it, you should go see Cool Hand Luke. We got a bunch of people popping off in the chat right now, so you can let me know if for some reason we're having a sound problem, which is traditional at this show at this point. You know, that's kind of within the traditions. But this whole, hey, I'd rather not have to do this exact thing that I've chosen to do right now, uh, reminded me of this logic. Let's play the scene. There you go. First comment coming in saying we're missing the audio. Give me a second. Give me a second. We're going to get this audio on if it's the last thing we do. If I have to spend the next 20 minutes yelling about pickleball courts until I figure out how to get this back on, that's what we'll do. We're not we're not moving on until everyone gets to hear this clip. Here, I think I know I think I know what I got to do. Just hold on. Hold on everybody. Don't panic. It's going to work out. Things are good in the world. Here we go. I know what to do. I know what to do. All right, let's pull this back. Tell me if you guys can hear it now. Wish you'd stop being so good to me, Captain. Don't you ever talk that way to me. Never! Never! What we've got here is failure to communicate some man you just can't reach so you get what we had here last week which is the way he wants well he gets and i don't like it any more than you man if that's the way he wants it that's the way he gets it and i don't like it any more than you do. It's kind of that Nurse Ratched uh, um, uh, syndrome, you know? Enjoying the authority, pretending like you're helping someone, and doing everything that you can not to help them. All right, let's move forward. Let's look at some other uh, some other spin. Oh, well, this was just kind of the latest from Israel. Israel agrees to four-hour daily pause in Gaza fighting to allow civilians to flee, White House says. Let's just read this. This is from the AP. Similar short-term pauses have occurred over the last several days as tens of thousands of civilians have fled southward. But Thursday's announcement appeared to be an effort to formalize and expand the process as the U.S. has pressed Israelis to take greater steps to protect civilians in Gaza. Biden's push for an even longer pause comes as part of a renewed diplomatic push to free hostages taken by Hamas and other militant groups to the Gaza Strip during their October 7th surprise attack on Israel. Israeli officials estimate that militants to blah, blah, blah. Kirby told reporters Thursday that the pause could be useful to getting all 239. All right. The point I want to harp in on is that the claim has been that the Israelis have told these people to leave and they've chosen not to, or they've been forced to remain as human shields. So isn't the fact that after pressure from uh, outside forces agreeing to create some sort of a humanitarian corridor and giving people three-hour warning that they'll have a four-hour window in which to pass through your corridor would imply the fact that you were keeping people in the area against their will? Doesn't that all, isn't there an implication of the fact that after being forced to provide people a safe way of passage that they didn't previously have a safe way of passage? 
And so therefore, when you were killing them, it's not that they just chose to remain and be a human shield. Because remember, the old system was you drop a leaflet on their house. You tell them that they're it. If they choose to stay, then they've chosen to be a human shield. And then you have no choice. You'd rather just get the terrorists, but you have no choice but to kill them. But doesn't isn't this a little bit of an implication, an admission of the fact that I guess you were involved in them being held there or that you weren't giving them the proper opportunity to leave? And then even this just seems like imagine if no one was being killed, but they were just being forced from their homes. Why? Like, why is that okay? I was reading this article, Northern Gaza Exodus Surges as Siege Builds, and it was getting into uh, the fact that they're being sent to, like, some beach that isn't really set up to house them. And, uh, you know, they're even talking about old people basically just being, like, pushed in computer chairs. And you're like, why is that even an option? I get that I'm not fully researched on who's here, who's there, how much Hamas hates Israel, and, you know, what the workable solutions are. But I I don't know. The concept of we're just going to indiscriminately blow up people's houses or, hey, we told them just to abandon their home and go to an area for an unknown amount of time without the resources to have them. And so if they chose not to do so, well, then them being blown up in their own home is on them. All right, moving on. Zelensky calls for unity, says time isn't right for elections. That's some world-class government spin right there. Because, listen, elections are always divisive. I mean, I don't even understand why we do them in the United States of America. Think about it. You get your Democrats, you get your Republicans, everyone's mercilessly fighting, talking about how much they hate the other team. I mean, why do we even engage in democracy? Democracy itself is not a unified system. What we need is dictators. If you want to see a country that's unified between one individual, are you going to find it in any area better than a dictatorship? And sure, you might think a monarchy, but every once in a while people challenge the kings. Not that people don't challenge dictatorships, but with the force that they apply, I mean, you really get a unified front behind those people. And I guess if he did run new elections, you know, I I would love to see an opposing force campaign with the just just make it stop campaign. The just can we just make it stop campaign? <laughs> All right. I have an idea for who uh, for who maybe because it, it looks like this Ukraine thing is lost. It looks like the thing's over. It looks like they're calling it a day. And it's in part because this guy, he couldn't sell it anymore. And so here's what I'm thinking. You know who might be the next best person who might be able to sing and dance the way back into Ukrainian getting American money is what's that guy James Corden up to? Who is better at some cheesy fucking propaganda musical than James Corden? I'm just saying that guy's been out of work for about a year now. If you're looking for a new government propagandist that might be able to sell the American public through song and dance on the fact that we need another war and to continue giving resources so that Putin doesn't end up taking over the rest of Europe... Maybe we can get James Gordon up there. Isn't that great? Zelensky calls for unity, says time isn't right for elections. That seems like a convenient way to become a dictator. Uh, King Charles expressed his deepest regrets for violence during Kenya's independent struggle from Britain, but didn't offer apology that victims and their descendants called for. Um, to be honest, I wasn't even familiar of this violence during the Kenyan incident, so as far as I'm concerned, I could have just gone with regrets. I didn't really need his deepest regrets. All right, here's the next one is uh, you got this ongoing Hunter probes. And, you know, I think the latest is that they're saying that they've uh, uh, well, we'll get to it. We'll get to it later in the show. But I was once talking to a friend of mine 
about uh, some problems, some professional problems I was having at work. And uh, he was telling me that they got this role because he's got all the fancy corporate training. He's worked for all the big companies. And he said one of the big things that you have to do when you work at a big old fancy corporation is you got to get everybody in the room. You got to get all the different agencies, all the different people. You got to get everyone in the room. Because if anyone's not in the room, everyone's going to point the finger and say there was a miscommunication with that person. It was a miscommunication with that department. Oh, I assigned it to this department. Well, I handed it over to Steve. Well, I handed it over to Mike. Well, Mike said that Steve was working on it. Well, when Steve re-reviewed it, he said that he was missing the paperwork from Mike and handed it back to Mike. When Mike looked at it, he realized he had to wait till he got this information from payroll. Oh, payroll never even saw this document. How is it possible that payroll never saw the document? Well, it's because Mike never handed it to payroll. Oh, Mike, is a tree never handed it to payroll? Well, that was because of the conversation I had with Steve. There you go. That's all of corporations in a nutshell. And that's why you got to do, you know what you got to do when you got to be a manager? You got to get everybody in the room. You got to get Steve in the room. You got to get payroll in the room. You got to get Mike in the room. And that's why you can actually solve who's responsible for what, who made what decision, who needs to be fired, who needs to be promoted, and you can start fixing the problems. Because if not, it's always a Mike gave it to Steve, game of telephone, blame it on payroll, circle jerk. I've noticed that when it comes to government, we have that exact problem. You got 45 different branches. It's always a miscommunication. You never get everybody in the room. So you get Garland in the room, and he goes, well, that guy had complete authority to do it. Then, then you get the guy who they said had complete authority to go do the investigation, and he starts going, well, yeah, I had the complete authority, but it wasn't in a nutshell. And this is no way to manage and figure out what went wrong. You have to actually get Garland in the room. You got to get this guy in the room. You got anyone else that they can possibly blame, and you got to get them all in the room and go, why was this decision made? That's the only way you ever get to the bottom of these things. But government's not set up for that. Government, if anything, it wants to run its efficiencies and then go, you know what we need? We need a uh, department of inefficiencies to study the inefficiencies. And then they go, you know what? We just didn't have enough money here for the department of inefficiencies. With more money at the department of inefficiencies, we can finally get rid of these inefficiencies. And you're like, dude, you guys have had so much more money. Every single year we give you more and more money and we're doing nothing but tracking more efficiencies. That's because you didn't give us enough money. And there's also that inflation problem. All right, anyways, let's actually read these two paragraphs that I highlighted from the article. I am and have been the decision maker on this case, we said, according to an opening statement issued during the closed-door hearing, transcripts of which weren't immediately made public. I do not, however, make these decisions in a vacuum. There are processes that I must adhere to in making investigative and charging decisions. These processes do not interfere with my decision-making authority. So, therefore, I had the full authority, but I had to talk to other people. So, it's not on me. It's on the process. I don't know. Bullshit. All right. One of the other big things was uh, talking about that the uh, IRS warned, uh, got in the way of the investigation. And there was also the idea that at one point they warned uh, Secret Service of the fact that they were going to serve a warrant. Those were some of the uh, big complaints from the whistleblowers. Um, so this was a fun one. One of Shapley's most serious allegations supported by his IRS agent colleague, Joseph Ziegler, was that Biden appointed U.S. attorney in Washington, D.C. and Los Angeles had prevented Weiss from bringing tax charges against Hyde or Biden in their districts, the legally appropriate places to bring such charges. In closed-door testimony, the U.S. attorneys disputed those claims, saying they only conveyed that they weren't interested in partnering with Weiss on the Hyde or Biden case. They said they otherwise offered to provide administrative support for his prosecutors to pursue charges in their respective districts. Always somebody else. All right, and I think I have 
one more. Nope, that's the end of that topic. So you know what? Why not take a moment plug another one of our lawyer sponsors, YoDelta.com. If you guys are into getting high, you're over the age of 21, you're living in states where the Delta products are legal, go to yourself, you get yourself YoDelta.com. You get yourself the vape pens. You don't have to smell like weed. You get yourself the gummies. You don't have to smell like weed. You get yourself super, super high, and you have yourself a good time. You support the show. You use promo code ROIM. You get 20% off the process of getting very high. All right, let's take a couple comments um on a positive note their wars are getting shorter 20 years to two years um yeah but they just keep pivoting them even afghanistan i think i said this on uh on part of the problem they're you know they're leaving this just wait that means they're just freeing up resources and then ukraine it's because they're freeing up resources for the israel thing and then if they abandon the israel thing wait you think they're done with wars it means they figured out a different way to wash and print some money all right, let's take, uh, we can, all right, here's a couple of quick topics. Um, first is, let's go with the debate recap. I don't know if you guys watched that last night. Firstly, I enjoyed Nikki Haley sitting there the whole time, being the hot chick, just rolling her eyes, going, I can't even. Why is this, why is this brown person at my social club? Why is this guy talking to me like this? I'm, I'm supposed to be the elitist here. I'm supposed to wave my hand and everyone's supposed to cower. I've waited my turn. I've played my part in this system. I'm here and I'm the best at looking pretty and spinning this war thing. And now you got this vivid guy just talking to me like this. Did she not look like she's just standing on the tennis court, holding her racket, looking at some like Chevy Chase type character and just going, how is this person allowed to talk like this? Doesn't it not feel like you're watching that sitcom of like a Caddyshack type thing where, uh, where uh, Rodney Dangerfield's just richer, smarter, and better at golf than all of them, but your rich, snobby people, despite how much better he is at the exact game that they're playing, are just rolling their eye. How come this guy's allowed at our country club? That's what it felt like with, uh, with Nikki Haley and Ramaswamy, is that we're watching the new character come on the stage quicker, more talented, and everyone's just like, why is this person allowed in here? That's not supposed to be the etiquette. We're all supposed to be on team war. This guy's cheating. With Chris Christie still just going dead with, I mean, just fucking harping on that war propaganda. Just, oh, if we don't fight, we, it's our moral obligation in Russia. It's our moral obligation to fight the Russians. If we didn't support them and we don't continue, how are you still putting yourself on the record of that if we don't support Ukraine, Putin's taking over all of Russia? And then he, and he really doubles down. If we don't help them defend themselves in it, like it's their obligation, get every single one of them. Man, him, her and Nikki Haley. Can you see them just maybe having sex with each other, just pontificating over war stuff and getting turned on? Unbelievable, the two of them. Vivek, you got to give that guy credit for just not playing by the rules, which is the way the thing works now. You have to actually show up and show people that you care, which is by ignoring the questions, ignoring the rules of the game, and just going, this is too important, I'm going to state this as a matter of fact. And he starts off the show and he criticizes Lester Holt, which I've always thought Lester Holt kind of looked and sounded like a Barack Obama in some Holly, like Halloween old age mask. Um, but somehow boring it down to fit the character... And so anyways, he gets up there and first he criticizes them and he calls out the Republicans for like, why are we just being the losers in this game? Why don't we actually play to win? I thought that was a great moment. And then attacking the hosts and going like, you know, look at the look at the kind of lies that you guys had on this network. And then just totally brutally 
going after Nikki Haley for whatever her relationship is with uh, war profiteering. I don't actually know what her current post is since she left the UN, but just going after, going, you went from broke to making millions of dollars working for these companies. Now you're up here and you're selling war. He had some savage moments. And God bless, because that was awesome. I, 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 give him, I give him a total victory, and uh, I feel like he's making some real inroads. Uh, maybe he doesn't have a real opportunity at president-type thing this time, because Donald Trump's taking that nomination. Maybe he actually pulls down that VP role. But uh, he, I'm not even saying he's right on every issue. But on some of the bigger topics, he's really letting these people have it. Uh, the next is abortion in public elections. Um, so the talking point is that d- Republicans have not been able to secure massive victories because the abortion topic is actually very unpopular. Uh, and it almost seems like Republicans, they were better off when the Supreme Court had uh, had it on the books. I guess you couldn't totally outlaw the abortions because then they weren't really getting in the way of it. Uh, Now, I know for some people, they look at it as absolutely being baby murder, and they look at it and they see it as the most important issue. And so, you know, like, I want to be fair to the point of view. So to them, hey, if if I have to choose between losing election, I mean, losing uh, the battle over restraining debt, um, but I'm preventing baby murder, well, I did prevent baby murder. Um, I guess I'm not, uh, like... I'm a little bit more on the uh, individual decisions and responsibility side. And so, you know, I I think, but I I guess here's where I'm a big ass fraud is that I do think that, you know, late term abortions clearly murder, probably middle term abortions clearly murder. For some reason, I guess I'm open and I I don't think I I wouldn't want to engage in it, but I understand like uh, to me, it's like you and your doctor both decided zero to three months. You feel okay with that decision? I don't like that decision, but I'm not going to stop you. But then I understand that that's hypocritical because then what? So I'm going to say that three months to cut off, four months to cut off. And so I guess I'm saying I don't really know and I understand and I get where these where these people are coming from, where they go, hey, I want to prioritize baby murder. But I guess to me, when I'm trying to when I look at the, the some of these threats in the world and I go, can we why don't we just shelve this one and get some victories on not having constant government overreach? not having these foreign wars, rolling back the Fed, making sure we ain't got no centrally uh, banked uh, digital currencies, making sure they don't keep pushing these green energy things that get in the way of uh, economic growth and actual profits, you know, slowing down all this inflation and me constantly turning around and going, why is my money worth less money? I I guess to me, I'm like, I wish that we could just shelve this one and so that maybe we could pull up, but like people could start pulling off some victories and fighting back on these other things. Um, but I, I, I get it. I get, I get for the, the people who look at it as baby murder going, Hey, I don't care. It's baby murder. Uh, Minnesota is allowing Trump to stay on the ballot. Um, now I'm a little confused cause there's still other court cases involved. And that sounded like that might've just been the Republican primary ballots just based off of my reading on the article. Um, but at least as I had reported earlier in the week that they were trying to pull a scam, uh, that I saw a censorship of having removed from the ballot. The first court case, uh, has not supported that. And then you've had all this Joe Biden and, uh, Joe Biden, basically, Hunter Biden bribery talk. I've found it to be a boring story uh, because, you know, they were talking years ago. Hey, Hunter Biden's been involved in crimes. We got these computers. And then all we saw was, uh, you know, porn pictures with his giant hog. We were like, hey, this guy's kind of cool. He does crack. He's got a giant hog and he's making a lot of money. 
And they keep teasing, 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 teasing. I gotta read another. I gotta read another. I gotta read another. They're like, all right, you guys still don't have anything. Now, you had a slight turn this week where I guess you had these uh, loan payments that were fishy, but they never give you clarity where I could just even relay to you. Here was the exact problem. It's always kind of up in the air. Oh, it's a little bit of an additional averments. And then you even had mainstream left media going, yeah, it's obvious that, you know, he can't say he had no involvement or no knowledge of it. Uh, but they still have yet to come back with anything substantial, any nail in the coffins to go, hey, we're putting this guy away. He clearly was bribed by other countries. But I guess the latest development is subpoenas for Joe Biden and James Biden. All right, let's take a couple comments, and then I got one last segment, and then that's our episode. We'll be back Monday with a- another one. Um, all right, one of the things that I hate is uh, a lot of times, you know, I feel like there could be better debates and better discussion if people with different opinions than us would actually represent their opinions. But a lot of times what we find, what I find is that they just lie to you. I'm trying to think of clear-cut examples. Maybe I uh, uh, shouldn't have done the heaviest topic at the end of the show, but like global warming. You know, instead of having an honest conversation, which is probably... I mean, I think that there's a lot of just lying cheats in the game who are trying to, you know, steal their own profits. But uh, I mean, yeah, basically steal profits. Uh, but I think for some individuals, the way they look at the global warming thing is that uh, carbon is an issue. Pollution's an issue. And if government makes investments into particular industries, uh, I, I, I'm strongmanning here that promotes green energy. We might actually have technological development in green energy that the uh, private market would not. And so we need the government investment into this industry so we can move critical technologies um, uh, uh, closer to their existence. Now, you, as I, you and I as free market people go, hey, that's ridiculous. If, uh, you know, there's actual profits on the table, you know, your entrepreneurs, your the government's only going to get in the way and hijack resources from what otherwise would be productive purposes. But at least you can then have an honest debate. Does government, uh, uh, does government making strategic investments actually have rewards? Um, or does that always lead to fraud, waste, squ squalor, whatever else, blah, blah, blah. But instead you get government going, hey, we're all going to be dead in two years. Or the same thing with the COVID vaccine. You know, they went, it's just safe and effective. They just harpened it to just two words that they could lie to you. Instead of having a conversation about maybe the actual risks and rewards of the thing, they didn't want to have an actual conversation about it. And so I find also when it comes to like these, uh, you know, a lot of these foreign wars, it looks like they're actually engaging in mercantilism. I don't, I, sometimes I don't think I pronounce that word correctly, where they're like, hey, we got to get rid of this pipeline. We got to make sure that our uh, oil industries are protected. We can't have Russia just selling directly to Germany. And, and, I, and then you can start debating that. Maybe Russia working together with Germany would actually work well. Maybe they would both be incentivized for peace. Maybe that wouldn't actually close us out of markets. Anyways, you know, or if you looked at the uh, Middle East thing, which we're going to take a look in a minute, and you start going, well, what we need to do is make sure that we have an ally here so we can actually uh, make sure that we're controlling the rivers in the region because, uh, I don't know, just don't lie to me. We actually think that all Muslims are uh, inherently a threat to us and we need to support we need to control all water in the region or we have to make sure that we control oil or we got to make sure that we control this trade route like you know sometimes I feel like uh, maybe there's actually smart people 
and they have a different viewpoint of uh of the world and then it's like he can actually debate these things but instead more often than not they understand that they sound evil when they represent these opinions so they just do this nonsense of oh putin's going to take over all of europe or and and they just ignore the cost well yeah you're gonna a lot of ukraines are gonna die it doesn't even sound like you got a pathway forward to victory you know i i don't know it just seems like more often than not the people with different viewpoints than us, they don't want to represent their actual viewpoints. And so you can't have honest conversations. And so you know what? I actually have respect for people that have the more uh, might is right point of views that are willing to actually represent their opinion because then you can actually have a conversation. And maybe, uh, maybe, maybe everyone can learn something as opposed to just kind of lying past each other. So I'd like to read this article from the uh, Wall Street Journal because I was like, oh, this guy's kind of got an evil perspective, but he's owning it, and I respect that. And I did think that there was one thing in here that sometimes I think about and I thought was quite interesting. Let's give it a read. Simultaneous crises are threatening global stability and taxing U.S. power and attention. Russia's war in Ukraine, Hamas and Iran's aggression against Israel, and China threatens the Pacific are all products of the grand ambitions of evil empire regimes. The West has cultivated illusions that have allowed these threats to rise and have left it unprepared. Three in particular are deeply ingrained in the American and European mindsets. The first is that leaders are responsible for wars and that these countries are, um, are our rivals only because of their bad leaders. Secretary of State Antony Blinken said in the Ukraine invasion at the United Nations Security Council in September 22, one man chose this war and one man can end it. But that war isn't only Vladimir Putin's, it's Russia's war. In a June 2022 poll, 75% of Russians either definitely or mostly supported the actions of Russia's military forces. One respondent asserted that the war is lo the locomotive of history and that it was time for Russia to assert its independence. The Russian Orthodox Church is an instigator of the war and has formed a deep culture of Russia nationalism, an imperial entitlement that extends beyond the Kremlin. The result is that Russia can incur massive casualties, recently around 1,000 a day, according to some estimates, without much political backlash. The hostility of Russia, Iran, China, and even Hamas can have deep cultural roots and popular support that allow these actors to engage in lengthy and devastating conflicts. Removing a bad leader or regime doesn't necessarily turn an enemy into a responsible actor. Let's pause there. First is, in this guy's analysis, he's relying on a single poll uh, from, you know, sounds like, you know, the Russian propaganda that 75% of people are supporting the war. And then to validate that one study, he's returning to a single individual and going, look, as reported by this single individual in Russia, what's interesting and evil about this guy's perspective is that he says the only, and I, it's something I've even said about the United States. The only reason that they are able to get away with these things, if they're able to sell them. And so he goes, listen, these leaders in these other countries, even if they are dictators and they have less freedom, they wouldn't be able to get away with these things if they weren't popular with these people. And it's not the propaganda. It's not anything else. It's that these people, these people that live in these areas are actually evil. And to me, this sounds like the basis for an argument for collective punishment. That, yes, we can go to war with or sanction all of Russia. Or we can go bomb North Korea. Or Israel can go attack the people of Gaza. Because these people, the actual people themselves support these leaders, are inherently evil. And they'll always support these bad leaders. It seems like the basis for a collective uh, collective punishment or, uh, you know, murdering civilians type arguments. Maybe I'm making a leap here. But at least the guy's like actually putting forward his opinion. 
which is interesting that it's not just le- it's not just the leaders of these places it's not just bad leaders it's uh actually the individuals who uh are represented by these leaders and so the entire areas are kind of inherently bad i think he's got a, an additional flaw when it comes specifically to the russia case which is i understand the security concerns of nato saying hey we're expanding all the way into ukraine and that even actual russian citizens would go oh fuck no but that doesn't mean that the russian citizens actually believe in this imperialism or that in order to have a good national identity they have to actually go invade all of europe they might just that might be the beginning and end of like their national pride is, hey, I don't want to be living here in fear of the U.S. All right, let's continue. The second illusion is that international organizations and global governance can overcome contentious national and uh, regional politics because these institutions are the sources of international order for many Western policymakers. The primary objective of their diplomacy is to bring more states. Democracies are not under their uh, pacifying umbrella. President Franklin D. Roosevelt hoped that the Soviet Union would behave better once it joined the United Nations and was willing to postpone hard negotiations with Moscow to have it participate in the founding of the UN. Western leaders hoped China would become a responsible stakeholder in the global order once a member of institutions such as the World Trade Organization. But like Russia, a permanent member of the UN Security Council, China hasn't become a benign geopolitical actor after participating for more than two decades in the W2O. The formative powers of international institutions has been greatly exaggerated, and the grand strategy based on it has left the West unprepared for the hard competition, including war in front of us. All right, let's pause on the second illusion. It also just does assume that everything we're doing with the World Bank or otherwise is just all honest and good. And everything we do with the dollar is all honest and good. And so, therefore, when we've invited these people into our structures that are all good, how come they're not just on board with our structures? But that's not exactly true. In fact, I've heard the argument made that BRICS isn't even looking to, like, you know, they, they, they understand the, the, the U.S. is too big of an economic force and has too much of a military that they're not really looking to combat the U.S. dollar. What they're looking to do is have a secondary um, where they've kind of done, you know, the Bitcoin as game theory of how does no single power cheat on their currency and then potentially basically force the U.S. Uh, to have a little more austerity and just continue to spend all the world's money. So I would say the flaw in, in his thinking here, if you can follow me, is that it's it assumes it assumes our government's benevolence in making these structures and so, therefore, when these people were invited to uh, uh, um, engage in these structures that we created, the fact that they weren't more gracious is proof of the fact that inviting them to be in, in our benevolent structures uh, is not enough. All right, let's continue. The third illusion is the greater trade and wealth produce peace. For decades, German foreign policy has followed the principle of change through trade. Berlin thought trading with Russia, China, and other bad actors would ease their hostility and turn them into reliable partners. The U.S. thought that the trade with China would gradually alter Beijing's incentives by creating a peace-loving middle class and deeper diplomatic ties. The Western bet that expanding trade would overcome ideological differences and political rivalries was wrong. States engage in in trade to become wealthy and competitive, not peaceful. Often they want to be wealthy so they can attack their enemies and dominate others as Russia has. Done with Europe since Peter the Great. China now is pursuing more trade with the U.S. to gain advantage over its commercial partner. Trade also fosters the desire for power. Many states that traded and grew economically as a result developed large power projection capabilities, most often through um, navies. Venice in the 11th century, Britain in the 17th century, and the U.S. at the turn of the 20th 
each backed its commerce with a powerful navy, leading to great clashes. Military might, not interdependence, gives states the ability to act in their best interests without constraints imposed over by other powers. Our rivals have been arming, while the West Europe especially hoped that trade would render capabilities useless. Deep enemy uh, uh, can't transcend through leadership changes, international organization trade. They can be checked and, when necessary, defeated only through military power. The last one is somewhat interesting to me. If you look at China and how wealthy they become and how powerful they become, if you want to do, I guess, a 50-year look back or whatever it is, uh, have we benefited by trading with someone? Like maybe there's an argument that you shouldn't invest in free trade with uh, evil regimes because you're empowering their evil. Um, but then I guess the, the substitution of that is like everyone there would be left destitute and poor. Uh, and we probably benefited from the trade. That one I'm not prepared to take on. But at least, you know, that's the benefit of when someone, or at least not, uh, you know, 52 minutes into rambling on the show. I, I blew a lot of energy on the pickleball topic, okay? You know, that's why sometimes you got to start with these things. That one's an interesting argument to me of if maybe we were a little too trusting of China and we've uh, we decided to engage in trade with them and we ended up empowering an evil regime uh, it, it's an interesting argument. I'm not, I'm not prepared to take it on now, but that's the advantage of when people actually want to speak honestly. And so in terms of also just speaking honestly, cause I feel like everything we hear, uh, of as to why, Hey, if they're fighting Israel, they're really fighting us. And, uh, you know, it's better we fight them over there than we fight them over here. A war on Israel. We got, we got to back our partners. And then you always look at it and you're like, well, why is this in our strategic interest? Can someone at least tell me how this benefits us, other than it just sounds like you're lying to me to send money over there. Uh, so here was Kennedy taking on the topic and actually speaking honestly about it. And so let's give it a listen. And Israel is critical. And the reason it's critical is because it's a bulwark for us in the Mideast. It's almost like having an aircraft carrier in the Mideast. It's our oldest ally and it's been our ally for 75 years. Um, it has been an incredible ally for us in terms of the technology, the exchange. And, you know, in building the Iron Dome, which we paid a lot for, has also taught us enormously about how to defend ourselves at home for missiles. So those military expenditures um, are, are, you know, are, are all going. All right, I got to pause for a second on that one because. Uh... The idea that we have to send them all sorts of free money for a technological exchange doesn't really make sense to me. I, I can't imagine that the only way to have developed technology was by sending free money to Israel. I can't imagine that if we did an economic study that, you know, that was better than the free market or the other processes for developing technology. Uh, I can't imagine that our military, if it wanted to, couldn't have built an Iron Dome and just fire rockets every single day in, out in Utah to make sure that the thing's working properly. So at least the first half of this of, hey, we need the, I, I, okay, fine, military base, I guess is interesting. We, we can't just, we're renting space. We're spending a lot of money over there to make sure that we have a military base. Uh, the idea that the, uh, that the return on investment of all the money we send over there uh, in terms of the technology that we've gained, um, that, that, it just doesn't sound accurate at face value. 75% of it goes to U.S. companies under the agreement, under the MOU. But Which, by the way, this one's also a classic when we go, oh, yeah, 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 like, listen, our president went over there and we secured all these trade agreements. Then you look at it and you're like, all right, so basically the uh, president 
made sure that Raytheon was going to make more money. What does the president just work for Raytheon? Like you look at it, you're like, oh yeah, I guess our military contractors have an in with the president who was able to go over there and sell a bunch of shit for them. If you look at what's happening in the Mideast now, Iran is now, um, a, the closest allies to Iran are Russia and China. Iran also controls all of Venezuela's oil. Hezbollah is in Venezuela. They have propped up the Maduro regime, and so they control that oil supply. Um, BRICS, Saudi Arabia is now uh, joining BRICS. So those countries will control 90% of the oil in, our, in the world. If Israel disappears, the vacuum in the Mideast, which is, you know, Israel is our ambassador, it's our presence, our beachhead in the Mideast, and it gives, us, um, it gives us ears and eyes in the Mideast, it gives us intelligence, it gives us the capacity to, um, uh, to, to, to influence affairs in the Mideast. All right, I can't imagine the intelligence is worth the payoff. And then uh, if you're a fan of green energy, do you really want constant socialized, uh, you know, government input of our military protecting oil profits? Isn't that throwing off the math on uh, maybe our usage of nuclear or maybe our usage of windmills? Who knows, maybe if we didn't fight, you know, 40 years of wars in the Middle East and Afghanistan or other to protect oil industry profits and oil lines, maybe we would have discovered that alternative energy by now. Maybe if government wasn't socializing all the costs of relying on oil, we'd actually be using something else. If Israel disappeared, Russia and China would be controlling the Mideast, and they control 90% of the world's oil supply, and that would be cataclysmic for U.S. nationalists. And Israel because I guess we couldn't possibly uh, convert to nuclear and natural gas or figure out a way to get along with these people so that we could trade with them. Because remember, like the last guy said, the only thing that really works is the army. All right, that is our episode. Thanks for hanging out with us. We will be back Monday morning with another episode. And I think I'm home all next week. So hopefully Monday, Wednesday, Friday. That's what I like for now until maybe we, uh, you know, paywall an episode or get some more sponsors or something else like that. I don't know. Anyways, this was fun. Hope you guys enjoyed. Uh, you know, rate, review, subscribe. If you've never done that, why don't you write me a nice little note? Every once in a while I read the notes, write a nice little note. Share it with your friends. Tell your friends, hey, you're missing out on all the good information. Did you know that pickleball courts were the work of the devil? I bet your friend didn't know that. Do you know that it was going to destroy rotator cuffs and it's only a matter of time before granny's back at home with even less use of our arms? I bet they didn't know that. There's all sorts of information that we talk about here that your pals aren't aware of. Uh, going to be in D.C. Got that gig at the shell coming up. All sorts of things. That's our episode. I'm done talking. Have a great night. Do things you enjoy doing.